0: Before we get started, After the Monuments is proud to receive support from VCU Massey Cancer Center. Massey Cancer Center wants you to imagine a future without cancer. All it takes is one, a revolutionary idea, a promising clinical trial, or a new breakthrough. See how Massey is developing new approaches to prevent and treat cancer for every person in every community. Learn more about this future for everyone at MasseyCancerCenter.org.
1: Before we get started, After the Monuments is proud to thank Team Henry Enterprises for their support of our show. Team Henry Enterprises is a black-owned contracting firm specializing in office, retail, medical, multifamily, and higher education construction of all scopes and sizes. In the wake of the George Floyd protest, Team Henry is the very firm contracted by the city of Richmond to take down the Confederate monuments in Richmond and by many other municipalities to remove other Confederate monuments around Virginia and throughout the Southeast. Learn more about Team Henry and how they can help your community rebuild, renovate, Or design at TeamHenryENT.com. I'm Kelly Lemon. And I'm Michael Paul Williams. And welcome to the After the Monuments podcast, where we look at events and news about race in a historical context and see how, too often, history repeats itself. Hey, it's Kelly. If you recall, we left off last week with Dr. Wes Bellamy talking about how he was taunted by organizers of the Unite the Right rally and how tensions in the city really escalated around Thanksgiving of 2016. Here you go. Welcome to After the Monuments, a real talk about race. Michael Paul Williams, I am Kelly Lemon, Um, we are having to do zoom today uh, with this interview because it is such an important interview that we didn't want to miss it um, as we are talking about the five-year anniversary of the monuments coming down in Charlottesville, Virginia, along with the five-year anniversary of the Unite the Right rally. We've already had Devon Henry on and also Dr. Wes Bellamy, and we are so excited for our next guest. So, Christy, could you please introduce yourself and tell us why your role in all of this was um, um, important for how it all shaped the 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 i guess what happened over those i guess couple of couple of weeks
2: okay um my name is kristen Sakis. um i am a former member of the charlottesville city council i served from 2010 through 2017 and um first started you know, when, when I moved to Charlottesville was very disturbed by the monuments the Confederate monuments and um, over the course of, of time that was 30 years ago um, had talked to a lot of especially black residents in town um, that they were really problematic and that you know people knew of people who had not moved to Charlottesville to teach because of that um, because they were there um, and so I really felt once I got on council that this was something you know that the council should address and um, so that was something that I started talking about, I guess in 2012, publicly.
1: How long were you on council? Eight
2: years, two terms.
1: okay. Two terms. got it. Michael Paul, you I want just, to jump in and start? Yeah, It, yeah. Right. Um,
0: it, it says, I'm seeing that you raised this issue at the Virginia Festival of the book.
2: <laughs> well, yeah. Um, Ed Ayers, who's just an incredible historian, um, was the state kind of historian for the, the, I guess, 150th anniversary of the Civil War. And that was the same year that Charlottesville was celebrating its 250th anniversary. And so, the you know, he he came to speak at the book festival for the keynote speak, the luncheon, and, and I went because I was really interested in hearing what he had to say about the Civil War. But he talked a lot about the monuments and how they were erected not as Civil War memorials, but as something entirely different much later um, in the 1920s. They had nothing to do with kind of the the memorialization of the war itself, but were more about um, suppressing some of the gains of the the reconstruction, making sure that um, black people didn't vote, didn't feel enfranchised, didn't feel any power in their communities, um, kind of as a large monumental thing that would say, know your place, know who's got power here. Um, and I grew up in Mississippi, so well, I didn't grow up, but I, I spent most of my childhood in Mississippi. And so I knew what those things meant. Um, my parents were civil rights activists. I, I had kind of, when I saw them, it was really clear what they were. And um, a lot of my black friends in town were pretty clear-eyed about what they were. But most of the white people that I knew were like, yeah you know that, that wasn't great but that's way in the past it's just a guy on a horse it's not really a big deal um they don't have power um we just ignore them and and so know, it, was, it was very strange kind of coming, being in charlottesville in that kind of intersectional space um with those monuments but so anyway so at so this thing he was talking about these and um and he he talked about you know that the. the they, at the time they were built, were purporting to reflect the values of their communities. You know, white supremacy was a value in in the white community in this in our town in the 1920s. And so when the, he finished, and I thought, wow, that was really interesting. I learned a lot. And there was time for questions, and there were a few questions about things that he had said. And, you know, I put my hand up, and I learned pretty quickly that when you ask an a question at a public event and you're the vice mayor it, it has a little more impact than if you're just a private citizen and it never occurred to me i mean i still would have done it but it it hadn't occurred to me that that would that it would be a big deal if i asked the question so i just said you know in light of the fact that we're celebrating our i guess it was sesquicentennial um and and this anniversary of the civil war um do you think that it's, it's maybe a, a really good time for our communities to start talking about what these monuments reflect about the values of our community now? And if we don't believe in white supremacy, and if we don't believe um, in the, the values that are tele- telegraphed by those statues, should we start talking about taking them down? And he gave kind of a non-committal answer, but said, you know, it's a good question. And, and I, I was satisfied, but there was this gasp in the room um, when I asked the question, like, oh, like, we don't talk about that. And when I came out into the lobby at the end of the, of the event, thinking it was over, um, this reporter from the, the Daily Progress came running up to me and said, do you stand by what you said in there? And I was, yeah. yeah. And it was splashed over the front page of the paper the next day that vice mayor, you know, advocates destruction of Confederate monuments or something like that.
0: Uh, what yeah, that kind of-
2: yeah <laughs> yeah, it was
0: no, no one could accuse you of being a come here from a yankee come here though i mean you're from mississippi
2: i was quite insulted when people later called me a yankee because of it because yeah no
1: wow um did,
2: did you get like what once it
1: hit the paper and you know again i was completely in awe at the fact that wes was telling me like all of these things were premeditated you know like i think the average person didn't know what was happening before it happened. Yeah. What kind of, I mean, did you get letters? Did you get calls? What What kind of,
2: you know, what kind of reaction did you get? Well, the the kind of, I won't say most disturbing because I got really graphic death threats ultimately, but one of the most disconcerting reactions I got was from a former city councilor, who I didn't know well. He was older than I am, and um, but he saw me on the downtown mall shortly after that. And he said, and then and, and there had been some pushback and, and people were you know, kind of getting all wound up about it. And he said, you know, I brought that up just in conversation with somebody when I was on council and boy, I learned my lesson. Don't bring that stuff up. I thought, that is not the lesson Mm-mm. that mm-hmm. I would hope a person would learn from that. But so I was really sad that that, that was the lesson that he had learned um, from this same kind of blowback and he had never, you know, it was not in the paper or anything. It was just talking about it to, to friends. Um, so, but but yeah, it was, I, I can't remember the exact timeline, but um, there was a fair amount of pushback. We had a couple of um, people come to city council meetings and denounce the position and um, there was no, well, there was one person on council at that time who would have supported removing them. and then our city attorney let us know that um, we actually couldn't because there was this law that said that Virginia localities couldn't remove Confederate statutes. And so I didn't bring it up in council after that. Um, But meantime, my home phone number and address got put on the Aryan nation website um, based, I think in Idaho. All over the country from really scary people. just you know, describing in vivid, graphic detail what they wanted to do to my my female body, um, things that they wanted to do to my children, things that they wanted to do to my house. Somebody came in our yard and plastered Confederate um, stickers all over the uh, back of our car. Um, so you know, they were in our house, in our yard. Um, most of them, I figured, were far away, and a couple of them. There was one man who called me, and he, I think he was in Montana, um, older gentleman. And he started off you know, really screaming at me about my position on the monuments. And so I, I said, you know, I, I'm not going to talk to you if you're yelling at me. But if, if we could have a conversation, I'm happy to talk to you about this. And he kind of calmed himself down. And he said, all right, let's talk. Um, and I told him about my background and, and kind of how I saw these monuments and why they had been put up. I told him that I have um, children who are mixed, who are Black, and that you know, for my family, these were not neutral things, and that I felt it was my responsibility to speak up, not only for my family, but for my constituents who had talked to me about this. Um, and by the end of the conversation, he said, you know, I still disagree with you, because I think Lee was a fine man, but if I were in your position, I would probably do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so they weren't all bad, but some of them were horrible. Mm-hmm. Tell me,
0: you say your parents were in the civil rights movement? Mm-hmm. Can you can you expand on that? Did they sure they uh, taught did they it? They know to... or did they? Yeah,
2: actually, this is this is my one my 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 little name drop is that when I was I think six or maybe seven, Martin Luther King stayed at our house, um, and read these like That's and... a big
1: name drop. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but we lived um, on the campus of Tougaloo College, which is an HBCU outside of Jackson, and. At the time, it was, we had, it was sort of the central um, hub of the civil rights movement in Mississippi. And when we had out of town celebrities who would come to, to speak, um, they weren't able to stay in local hotels. And so our house was the guest house on campus. Wow.
0: Wow. 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 That's something that will inform an attitude.
2: It does. Yeah, I was little, you know, I was a kid. We moved out, away from there when I was 10. Um, but it, you know, I, I, mean, I saw my dad get beat up. I saw my mom get spit on, and they weren't super activists. They were professors, um, but they were engaged in, um, in activism and marches and um, supported the movement.
0: So you knew this background, though. I mean, you're from, you're from Mississippi. I'm sure there's a Confederate monument or two. There. Oh yeah. And. <laughs> And you know, you, you know, I kind of considered it like the heart of darkness, really, uh, as far as racial terror. And so you had to know there would be resistance this would be yeah. controversial, right? When you brought it up in Charlottesville, or did you feel like Charlottesville was a different kind of place?
2: I knew from talking to friends over the years that that there was this underbelly of kind of self-congratulatory, non-racist racism um. Mm-hmm. That, that we had here um, where people would never acknowledge any racist thought, You know, might have several racist acquaintances and coworkers um, you know, who they liked very much, might go to their funerals or their weddings, but there was a real acceptance of kind of a status quo and a real refusal to look at any possibility that there might be less than perfection here in racial dynamics. When my family moved here, we had been looking for a place that was a place where our racially mixed family could live comfortably. And when we visited Charlottesville, we, we were, I mean, we were disturbed by the statues, but the people that we met said, Oh, yeah, no, it's great here. You know, but when we moved here, we realized that there were definitely two Charlottesville's that there was this gulf. Um, And so, racist as in like, I'm going to throw a bottle at your house or burn a cross on your lawn. I think that had sort of been here in the 60s, um, but wasn't something that people did overtly in the the 2000s. But minimizing people's experience of racism, telling them that they were imagining things, um, kind of holding on to the way things always have been because that's the way they've always been, um, even though they're not equal, that's just they're fine. Um, those were things that were pretty much standard here.
1: Yeah, as a as a very pr-
2: proud uh graduate
1: yeah, of the University of Virginia. There was something on what, your shoulder. Yeah, it was on both sides. Um you, what you're saying, I saw. Um, in terms of when we would lead grounds, um, we always knew that our You know, although we had to find our safe space on ground, we also didn't know where we were safe at within the Charlottesville community. And then more so as a Black graduate of UVA to be able, I don't feel like the Black community of Charlottesville knew that we were there for them or Mm -hmm. that we may have the same struggles and same conversations because they looked at us as the the you kids you know these are the privileged they they have no idea what's going on in the world cuz they go to the university um where we were like no this is we 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 came to this university because we knew that this was going to be um a microcosm of of the entire world what we were about to learn um and we also knew that jefferson wasn't the nicest person um However, we we knew that his village and his thought process, we could learn from and be able to take it out there and and know the sacrifices that our ancestors built the university on in order to have us go there and succeed,
2: so. Well, there's also a history in Charlottesville of, you know I'm sure you've heard about Vinegar Hill and um, there were other incidents as well, but there was a thriving black business district in town that during 1960s urban development was raised. It was just torn out. and so the economic picture in Charlottesville in the early aughts of, of the 21st century was very drawn along, you know, racial lines were very similar to economic lines that um, there was not a large black middle class in town. There was not a large business owning class. There were, and nor um, you know, college professors, UVA has never been really good about um, having a lot of professors. And so I think for a lot of black residents in Charlottesville UVA was also something kind of unattainable that that's a whole different world because our kids are never going to go there. Um, and that's I, I think a lot of people worked there in in housekeeping and places and maybe not be treated very well and didn't have a whole lot of love for the UVA community in general and I imagine you got kind of subsumed into that as well.
0: Yeah yeah it's my understanding that that inequality you're talking about, um, that chasm between um, relatively well-to-do folks in Charlottesville and 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 and, uh, and other residents who um, had less it was part of the impetus for you getting into politics.
2: Yeah, was that was, working
0: with Ob- for Barack Obama's campaign.
2: Well, yeah, I, I did. I, I helped coordinate the the local, well, the regional um, campaign for Obama, but. One of the things that, that I did in that process was knocking on about 2000 doors in town. Um, and, and we had this kind of script that we had developed, which was, um, you know, what do you think, you know, needs to happen? What needs, you know, if we're talking hope and change, what are you hoping for? What, what changes do you wanna see? And it was a real open-ended question process. And, um, and the things that people, especially in the black community, would tell us, would tell me, that they wanted um, things like equality in education, jobs, um, affordable housing—nothing new, but but you know really strong things. I started out thinking, well, those are really something that you know the president can have an impact on. But most of that is happening at the city council level. And at, at, during the campaign, we were watching council vote down things about equality and education, jobs and, and affordable housing, um, you know, just incidentally, not no, no big things. And I thought what we really need after we after we get this guy elected is that we need to get people at the local level who will work on those issues. And my intention was at that point, I thought I have mad skills. I could be somebody's campaign manager um, and get somebody elected. And I try, I asked so many people if they would be willing to run for council because I really thought we needed People who would talk to me about how they cared about these things, and I was like, "Oh, we need your voice on council." Like, yeah, not this year, no. I'm, um, and so, I decided somebody needed to do it. I had quit my job to work on the campaign, so I, I went ahead and put my hat in the ring. And I, mm-hmm. I, I ran on a on a on those that those were my issues. Those and um, that we needed to listen to more than the twelve people who show up to council meetings, which mm-hmm. were almost all privileged white older people who had the time and the resources to be able to come to council meetings and knew the counselors personally and you know had those relationships that they could generally get what they wanted and nobody else came to council meetings at the time and so I was real you know trying to figure out how to get the, the masses to the meetings And ultimately that happened it kind of it it, it got a little big but that's on the
0: reverse end yeah yeah <laughs> but fast forward it I mean you know you we're um, post unite the right. We're post uh, well with Obama. We were post racial, but we <laughs>
2: um,
0: post unite the right and and post our moment of racial reckoning that actually brought down the monuments. But where what is the picture in Charlottesville today? Is it is it much different than um, the sorts of divides that you saw when you decided
2: to pursue? I them? hope so. Um, you know, I. I'm old enough um, in my 60s now that I, I I, am optimistic. I used to be just a cockeyed optimist, you know, like, we're going to, you know, we're going to fix this and we're, yeah, that's going to be wonderful. And people, once people know the truth, you know, they'll do the right thing. I think we've made tremendous progress. And and I agree with Wes Bellamy, who, who's like, who saw that, you know, people really didn't they didn't understand, white people didn't really understand their complicity in in, in inequality, Um, I think issues like George Floyd and looking at how police uphold structures of racism, whether they're individually racist or not, um, and how um, you know economic systems do that and how churches do that and how that, that, that those kind of ways that that white supremacy and racism work without anybody having nasty feelings about someone else. I don't think people understood that. I didn't fully understand it. I I intuited it, but I I couldn't have explained it. Um, But I think that now there's been enough kind of uncovering of that, that it takes real willful ignorance now to not kind of understand it. There are still certainly people who are in that category, but a lot less, I think now, well, really by 2012 when I was running, or 2011 when I was running for reelection, I actually ran on a, on a in this case, a, a monuments thing, um platform among other things that, that we needed to, to, to undo systemic racism in Charlottesville. And I, I won by a landslide. And so I really felt by that point that people in Charlottesville wanted to do the right thing. I don't know that they always do. I think we have this next year, um, we're looking at a new comprehensive plan, which is kind of zoning and how we look at land use. And it's, it's all kind of in the weed stuff, but it's gonna have a huge impact on whether we have affordable housing, whether we have the ability to build um, you know, small businesses in, in the community. Uh, and for years, our community has been against these changes, you know, having more units on an acre, having more density, more apartments, more townhouses, less you know, three bedroom house on a, on a one acre lot. Kind of neighborhoods, and and so if if our city actually supports that, I will be a lot more confident. At this point, I'm still sort of holding my breath.
1: What are you currently doing um, in Charlottesville? Uh, I, I don't I don't know if we talked about, we we talked about the past, but what are you currently doing? And it seems
2: like you're still involved. I, I am I am less involved. Certainly, I I will say that 2017. Was personally very traumatic. Um, I came into that year with this kind of steady drumbeat of death threats and 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 you know vitriol. I would be walking down the street or in the grocery store, and people would attack me and um, not physically, but but sometimes very close. um, And you know over the monuments. Over the monuments, and and it's so sad because when I first brought it up, I was thinking surely this town, you know, all these good people who don't who aren't racists um, will say oh of course let's get rid of them and it would be a no big deal especially in 2016 I guess when the when it was clear that we could legally do it um, the city of, of Danville removed theirs and a court order said that the, you know a court ruling said that they were allowed to because the laws preventing it hadn't been in effect for cities when ours were erected and so we could do that um, and I really thought it would be, you know, I would bring it up to my fellow counselors who were people of goodwill, and we would have a vote and we would get rid of them. And then we could work on all the other issues of racial justice that we needed to work on. And that one thing just hit such a, it, it lanced such a boil that um, it took a long time just to do that. And so coming that that whole two years was really fraught. Um, and then after the, 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 the Nazi white supremacists, i hate to call it a rally because a rally sounds fun but um the thing that happened on august 11th and 12th the people in the community especially activists were really angry at the way that council had not protected them or the city had not protected them and i was part i was the man i was on city council and um so i got a lot of yelling at me for that too so i was getting screamed at from both sides and i was just kind of ah I also had thyroid cancer that fall and it was just, you know, surgery and throat, and I couldn't talk. And, um, so that was no fun. And so at the end of the year, I really just walked away. Um, my husband and I left town for six months. We went wandering in our camper van with our little dog and, um, I really needed that just to, to step away and not be here. And for, couple years after that, like city council meetings, I didn't watch If If I had to testify about something, you know, a particular you know, group home or something that wanted to be in a neighborhood, I would, you know, kind of do my thing and then leave and um, look, look at it like this. So I've, I've really sort of stepped back. I still care a lot about the issues and I've still stayed active as a, as a person, um, but, but not politically. Um, so I'm, I'm a writer, I'm an editor. I do a lot of freelance writing and editing. Um, the pandemic has been weird. Um, I already worked at home, but suddenly my daughter moved back and my husband was home and there were people in my office. Um, so, you know, navigating that everything has been for everyone, just a very strange time. I I like to sing. I do a lot of, did a lot of singing before the pandemic, and that's been very different since then. So the, the thing that I did that was my own personal therapy wasn't available for a long time. Um, but I, I feel like this is the first kind of anniversary acknowledgement of, of August of 2017 that I haven't felt like I needed to duck and cover. Like I haven't felt sort of PTSD symptoms about it, where I, I'm like, okay, I can talk about it now. I, I it's far enough in the past. Um, it's it's not still making me cry. Mm.
0: How do you feel? How did you feel when the monuments
1: were removed? <laughs> did you feel, how did you feel well you know can also tell I, us about that that night like where you were at when both situations happened when you found mm-hmm. monuments were going to be removed and also that night that we're not calling a rally where were you at Friday you night know, yeah
2: Friday night I was at home um I, I did not go to the church service I knew it was going to be really crowded and I felt like um I had been targeted like was had by some of the individuals involved and i just thought that my presence there would be a magnet and and not helpful so i stayed away um but i did hear i started getting texts as soon as stuff started to go down on on grounds and actually that afternoon oh at midday sometime i had gotten a call from somebody in in the activist community who had heard that this was going to happen And so I had called our city, our police chief and our city manager. Um, Our city manager said he was going to call the UVA president um, and let her know so they could coordinate some kind of response. And that clearly didn't happen. And she later said she never heard about it. So I I know that the city manager did call her. So um, that makes me really mad just to have her say that. Um, But it was. So I wasn't totally unprepared for the fact that it was gonna happen. I thought it would be handled better um, at all. Our, I know that our city police were standing on the edge of UVA grounds ready to be called in, but they're not allowed to go in unless they're called, but UVA never called them. And so they were there um, feeling really frustrated. Um, it, the whole thing was just, was horrible. So anyway, so, and then the next day I was at the church in the morning in March downtown, um, I, I actually was part of the, the, the counter rally in, the, in another park, in McGuffey Park. I sang, I led the singing there um, and spoke a little bit, but um, I had actually gone home to let my dog out um, when all hell broke loose. Wow. So I was watching it on CNN, realizing it was, because my husband was home watching it, um, what was going on. And then the monuments, when so that the monuments. happened. So we finally voted, you know, we, we had voted um, in before the, the rally, of course, about Robert E. Lee. Wes and I had brought it forward to the council as soon as the law changed, or as soon as the, the ruling came down that we could do it. Um, we did not have three votes, it took a while. We had you know this rally and tried to get public engagement people coming in and that did happen. Um, and we finally did get the third vote. We voted three to two to, to remove Robert E. Lee and almost immediately were sued by supporters of of the monuments and the, the judge in that case took forever to, to decide it. So we couldn't initiate an injunction that we couldn't take it down in the meantime. Um, so I was off counsel by the time he finally ruled that we could not move remove the monuments. Um, these folks also sued us personally as council members, the three of us who had voted for it. Um, so that whole time I was worried I'd lose my house and my retirement because they were suing us for like a million dollars or something. Um, but so after that ruling that he'd said we couldn't move it, a group of us started talking about, like, what are we going to do? Like, how would you remove that thing through civil disobedience? Like, how would you pull it down? How would you, you know, and, and really starting to look at if we can't do it within the law, how are we going to do it outside the law? Um, I can say this now because thoughts are free and, and I can't be arrested for thinking it. Um, I did not ever tie a rope to the statue and it. It fortunately wasn't necessary, but was definitely um, thinking along those lines. And that one of our, our kind of meetings that we were talking about this, you know, we said, well, let's give one more shot to the state legislature. Let's see if we can get them to change the law. And so we started, we organized a statewide campaign of people all over the Commonwealth talking to their legislators. We went, pounded the, the doors in, in the legislature and. Um, you know, persuaded them to vote to change the law. It's been brought up every year for, I think, 20 years to do this. Um, but this this year, um, because there were so many people, we had a big rally in Richmond, and um, we actually got the law changed. And that was a big, as, as Joe Biden would say, a big effing deal. Um, mm-hmm. And so I really felt last June when they finally came down that I had... Yeah, you know, I certainly wasn't alone responsible. There were none of it could have happened with just one person, but I felt like I, you know, kind of that I had done my part. That I had, you know, I didn't have any regrets of things that I hadn't done that I could have done. Um, I felt like, you know, I I had worked really hard to make this happen. I was right there watching Mr. Henry take him down. I was so excited. Um, yeah, so. I was yeah.
1: And again, I guess it comes full circle. It just, they just took them down last year. Um, and so you finally are at peace this year. That may with, help. Yeah. yeah you <laughs> celebrating an anniversary because you know that it's only been a year since the justice has been served from all of this.
2: Yeah. yeah. And, and really, you know, the, I mean, people would would say while we were talking about these statues, often people who didn't want them removed. It's like, why are you worrying about statues? There are real racial justice issues to talk about. You know, It's just a symbol and, and that's true. I think symbols have power. I think especially large symbols that are on a hill overlooking a town and, and dominate the landscape have power. Um, but I think that the, the, the larger issues have started to, to shift. And, and I think you know, Wes was on council for two more years after I was off. Um, and, and he and I did a lot while he was there and, and he continued to do a lot afterwards. Um, I think that the, our community has a lot more people who are active and and knowledgeable and ready to jump in if things start to slide back. Um, and I think that that's good. I think to a certain extent, things kind of had to get blown up in order to, to shift because they were so entrenched and I don't, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, Peace-loving person, I don't like the blowing up part, but I don't, I don't object to it. I think it, it's not. I think it has to happen. I, I think that, you know, things have to get shaken up. They have to be, become really uncomfortable before people who are comfortable will move. Yeah. Michael Paul, you're on mute, and I know you're about to
1: talk again.
0: <laughs> Sorry. Um, it seems like is this. Not to be a downer, but we got the monuments down, so there's a victory there in that fight. But what those white supremacists and Nazis marched for—it's it. I mean, starting with Trump, finding very fine people in that bunch. I mean, yeah. it just seems like—I mean, white supremacy and 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 those groups, yeah, uh, proud boys, you know, stand by our governor. Like if there's an no ascendancy there, yeah.
2: our and governor supports, you know, not being allowed to talk about racism in schools, and not to be able to teach the history of these monuments or how they happened, or the, the you know what happened to people during the you know after the Civil War and how white people in this Commonwealth worked very hard to suppress black enfranchisement. Um, that he doesn't want us to be able to teach that in our schools. So yeah, it continues.
0: Yeah, it it um you know I worry that you know it's become acceptable. Um, you know, I mean just the idea, I mean, you think of the history of Nazism and how many people in this country died yeah. fighting Hitler and Nazism. And you know, and people can march in this century. You know, under the banner of Nazism, um, you know, when you got you mentioned earlier, when you proposed removing the monuments, it wasn't a son of the Confederate veterans who called you. You know that you mentioned it was an Aryan, Mm -hmm. Aryan. You know, it's you know, it's such a seamless connection there. They were brought these the Nazis, the Aryans, the Klan were brought to Charlottesville to support those monuments. But people try to detach them somehow from racist motive. Yeah. Uh, so I, well, don't, I, I don't.
2: We also, I mean, I, I, when I was younger, I, I did a lot of, of research about the, the rise of Nazi Germany because I was really curious about kind of how that happened in a place with you know nominally good people. You know how, how, how does a country of regular people become that? Um, and, and I was always a little distrustful of it could never happen here. Um, But one of the things that I I learned about that horrified me was how many Nazis there were in the U.S. in the 1930s and 40s. And it's not something new
1: here.
2: It's been there forever. And, you know, I think that there were times after after World War II, clearly it went out of vogue. Um, So they called themselves other things. Like, I don't know, John Birch or something else. But but I think that that that... backlash from you know being a nation of white power whether that's you know white power or just white power um leaving that for a lot of white people is really threatening and they have been taught over the generations that the threat is from non-white people not from anything else and so when they start feeling threatened that's who they lash out at yeah it's
0: you can't underestimate the value of shame, and I gather after World War II, however many Nazis were here, it, you wouldn't dare say <laughs> the same company that you were a Nazi, yeah, and, or you know align with all sorts of other bigots. But now it seems like that shame, and I, I, I'll call out Trumpism, that yeah. shame has, has 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 been removed.
2: Yes, and that was i mean there's no mistake that the unite the right rally happened when it did you know president trump had been elected and it was suddenly okay to be a white supremacist they felt like he was their president they i mean one of the speeches that was you know started at the beginning of that rally was about we're here mr trump Hmm. so they felt like they had impunity because of that and he he gave it to them after when he said the good people on both sides thing um, he certainly was not going to call them out because those were his people. And I'm not, you know, I don't know if he's a white supremacist or not. I can only judge a, a, a tree by its fruit, but, um, but they certainly felt like he was their guy. Oh, you gave
1: us so much. I, you know, we are running out of time. We try to keep these, you know, um, at least a, a little shorter, but we could, we could go on forever. What do you, what's your hope? what's your dream I guess for how you how you move forward within the Charlottesville community and are there any things that have been put in place now that you've seen that you really are excited about um, as you see Charlottesville being kind of this um um maybe not not guinea pig but kind of blueprint for how you know small cities like Charlottesville you know can make a big impact on the, the rest of the nation
2: yes well I am hoping. You know, I think when I was talking before about you have to blow things up to get things to move. I think the last few years have been mostly about blowing things up. Um, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I just mean that 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 work had to happen. Um, but I think that the next few years are really going to hopefully be about building things up. Um, and I, I am hoping I I know uh, there's one new member of city council who I had been trying to encourage to run for years and is now on council. So I'm, I'm delighted with that. And, and I think you know, to, to take a strategic approach to say, you know, where are there are still issues? What can we do about them? What are other cities doing about them? I, I worked a lot with the National League of Cities, um, which is a membership organization of city councilors and mayors. And um, we did a lot. We actually instituted a lot of things when when we were on council um, that address things specifically. We have a, a, a black male achievement initiative of working with kids, of trying to figure out how how to keep young black men kind of on track to do well either you know in entrepreneurship or school or whatever they're doing um and so i think that I, I am encouraged that we have a council that that can do that and that seems committed to doing that i'm hoping that we'll continue to um to elect people who are committed to that because that's it's not just going to happen if we stop paying attention um i, I also think that charlottesville one of the things we told the legislators when when they were kind of thinking about changing the law about the monuments is that the nation is watching us and for for bad or for good the things that happened in august of 2017 kind of put us in the crosshairs of national attention for that moment and i think just like i mean god forbid the, the 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 massacre in charleston things that happen that that turn history a little bit it's horrible for the people involved but it can actually it puts you in a position where you, like the people at Mother Emanuel, can set an example for how people can respond to this and what can happen that's better. Um, We're in a a kind of teaching role. I hope that we can actually use that for helping other communities because we're certainly not the only one that has these issues. We just blew up at a particular time. Um, So I I think we can be instructive to other places too. Michael Paul, any final words as we're wrapping up with Chris? I mean,
0: just, just like Richmond, what place better than Charlottesville as a place that manifests all the myriad contradictions, Jefferson, the university, um, uh, a progressive place where this horrible backwards racist thing happened. So yeah, it's, 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 it's a microcosm, and, and yeah, so it's uniquely equipped, uh, I think, both of our cities to work it out. Yeah.
1: Kristen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us on the anniversary of the monuments coming down in Charlottesville and also um, the Unite the Right, whatever it was, um, that that happened on that weekend. um, I
0: hate that term, too.
1: Yeah. And um, as you may know, um, Michael Paul um, writes a column um, for the Richmond Times Dispatch that can be found not only in our paper, but also online at richmond.com. And we would love, love, love for you to to at least, you know, come back and and, and let's, you know, have some more conversations about how you're moving forward. I'd love to. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening, watching another episode of After the Monuments, a real talk about race with Michael Paul Williams and Kelly Lemon. We'll talk to you guys next time. After the Monuments is a Virginia Video Network production and produced by Matt Pacilli, Michael Paul Williams, and me, Kelly Lemon. Technical direction and editing from Bill Barksdale. Executive production from Paul Farrell, Diane Salvatore, and Paige Mudd. Will Royer provide studio support. Our artwork is by Krishna Mathis. I'm Kelly Lemon, and we'll see you next week on After the Monuments.
0: Huge thanks to Massey Cancer Center for being our After the Monuments sponsor.